Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll begin this evening. Genesis chapter 1, as we think about this idea of, of work and what does it mean to live the good life uh, with work. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, this is God's word to his people. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word to his people. We're thankful for it, that we get to even read it together in our own language. Just as a side note, we've just done something that six billion people cannot do because they don't have God's word in their own language. Just remember that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our opportunity to hear your word. As we consider probably a topic that many of us wish didn't exist, but you have created and you have ordained for our good. And God, it's our duty and responsibility as Christians to show how you redeem even the work that we do. So be with us tonight. Help us as we consider your word together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Just because you don't like something doesn't make it bad. Just because you don't like something doesn't make it bad. There are a lot of things that I don't like. It doesn't make them bad. I, just one that's incredibly silly and probably frivolous to 99.9% .9 of the people in this room. I hate bad writing instruments um, with a passion. I wish that they would die. Um, they're inanimate objects, which isn't going to happen. So just because I don't like something doesn't make it bad. The idea of work is not fun to us. Nobody came in here tonight going, oh, yay, he's going to talk about work. Um, the fact that it's even referred to as work more often than not communicates that it's going to be difficult. It, nobody ever says, you know, nothing comes easy in life. You're really going to have to play at it. Uh, they say nothing comes easy in life. You're going to have to work at it. In fact, the reason that we don't like the word work is to communicate that there will be some degree of difficulty in whatever we're facing. It also seems that there are two camps around work. Okay, so you got two, two different approaches to work. First, work is terrible and there's nothing to do but try to get by and or get ahead and or get out of it. And so you hear people grumbling all the time. They've never had a job that they, they liked in their entire life, and, and they never will. And then you have another camp that says um, if you find what you're passionate about in life and you love it, you'll never work a day in your life. Those people are idiots and morons. Uh, there is no job that doesn't have difficulty to it. Even the ones that you are the most passionate about, it has bad days. I, I think that's the big lie of college. Like I think that's outside of the racket or racketeering that takes place in exorbitant amounts of money that is charged through tuition is this idea that you're told to just go to college, find something you're passionate about, study it, and you'll get a career in it, and then uh, you'll make money and you'll love every day of your life. 
I've spent enough time with people on the other side of college to just know that's not true. And it's a lie. It's cute idea, but patently false. Even the best jobs have its ups and downs, its particular challenges. Even uh, the professional athlete has to get along with other people in the clubhouse. And if you played sports for even just one day, you know that that's difficult to do. Because people are difficult to get along with. Work is difficult. There's nothing that is easy about it. So if we're going to talk about living the good life, though, work is going to be a major part of it. Let's just be honest. Sleep and work are going to be a major part of your life. Those are the two things that you can count on are going to take up a, a majority of your time. And if you're in college, that you seem to get less sleep and have to do more work, and then you, the rest of your adult life you're trying to figure out how to do less work and get more sleep. There's the only people in the world that get to, I mean, Harper gets to take naps every day of her life, and I remember being a kid and, and hating the idea of being told that I had to go take a nap, and then you get to college and you're trying to figure out where can I squeeze in a nap. Some of you right now are thinking, this time period, if I could keep my eyes open and fall asleep, would be a great opportunity for me to take a nap. I get it. I'm a little bit offended, but I get it. I understand, and I love you in the Lord in spite of it. So how do we think about work biblically, and how, do, how can we think about work that pleases God and allows us to enjoy the good life? Because that's what everybody's after, right? We, that's why we've titled this series The Good Life, because everybody wants to... Uh, they want to have relationships that are, are, are good. They want to have a marriage that's good. They want to have a job that's great. And then they want to be able to goof off to the glory of God. So how do we do that? How do we pull that off? Well, we've got to talk about work biblically. And so th three things tonight as we think about work biblically. And, and the first thing I want us to look at is, well, I want us to see work's original intention. And that's why I had you read with me Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, because in the original creation narrative, work is present. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, prior to the fall, man didn't have to do any work. And I'm like, that's just bad theology. Work is ordained and commissioned by God. It is a good thing. Uh, we look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we see the creation of man and woman in verses 26 and then verse 27, and then a charge comes. God gives Adam some responsibilities in verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what ends up happening is God commissions Adam and Eve to do work. And what happens a lot of times, because in, when you start talking to Christians, especially, uh, let's just say Christians ages 18 to 35, and you get to Genesis 1, and you say, you read the verse, and it says, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, everybody uh, hones in on that phrase because uh, they are like, okay, so God says we can have sex. Right. He ordains it inside the covenant bounds of marriage. We talked about that last week. Yes, but you've got to keep reading. You don't just stop when you get to the parts that you like. He continues on and says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. So here's Adam and Eve's uh, work responsibilities. They are to be fruitful and multiply. They are to fill the earth 
but then they are also to subdue the earth or to take the earth captive and exercise dominion over the earth, over every living thing. You and I have a responsibility to steward or to manage what God has given us, and what he has given us is this earth. So we have a responsibility. God's original intention is not that mankind would never work. Like I think sometimes we think of Adam and Eve in the garden and just like lounging around eating some tropical fruit and talking to like uh, a platypus or something. Like he was like, they could talk to the snake. Other animals had to be eaten. Okay, well, you just make stuff up as you go and you can get there. And we, we, we view this. I mean, like Adam's first job in the garden of Eden was to name all the animals. That's work. Okay, well, let's line these animals up, all right? Single file over, no, get in line, all right? Uh, we'll just go with elephant. Uh, looks like it. I guess we'll just go with it. And, and so he begins to name animals. And through that process, actually, is how Adam arrives at the conclusion, wait a minute, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, Mr. and Mrs. Platypus, and uh, I just, I, I'm sorry, the platypus is such a unique person, and I just think of Perry the platypus, I can't <laughs> help it, okay? I'm just being honest tonight. So, he gets to the end and goes, we're one short here. You know, when we talk, uh, when I uh, uh, am doing a wedding, I know this is surprising to you, I'm doing a wedding uh, this weekend, and I'll do one in a couple weeks, uh, and then who knows, do one in a couple weeks, and a couple weeks, and it's until I die. Um, but I'll say Adam and Eve, uh, Adam realized, hey, wait a minute, we're one short here. So God's original intention with work is to bless it. It is a blessing from God. Jim Hamilton is helpful here. Arguably, every righteous task in the world can be seen in relationship to the subjection of the earth and the exercise of dominion over the animal kingdom. At its most basic level, a righteous job is what you do as long as that job does not exist to commit or propagate sin, but to accomplish the task God gave humanity to begin with. Fill, subdue, rule. Such work affords everyone who does it the opportunity to image forth the likeness of the true and living God. See, what we do a lot of times in Christian circles is we really elevate ministry jobs and we really downplay everybody, every other job that takes place because they're not ministry jobs. That can sometimes happen. It's a critique I've heard at least a couple times, so I would say it's valid to bring up at this point. Every job that is commissioned under heaven that does not propagate or commit sin is a righteous job that can be done to the glory of God and give a picture of the true and living God. So yes, you can teach to the glory of God. You can sell real estate to the glory of God. You can be a lawyer. Well, I mean, yes, you can be a lawyer to the glory of God. You can be an accountant. You can be a pastor. You can be a missionary. You can sell hot dogs and hamburgers to the glory of God. And I know this one will hit close to home for some of you. Uh, you can sell chicken to the glory of God. You know that? Because Chick-fil-A does it so well. When we see God's original intention for work, we begin to realize that 
work as we know it is not how it's intended to be. That's what ends up happening. When we read this Genesis passage and we realize that God is ordaining work and he's put it into place, we begin to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So my job is an opportunity to speak and to model and to give hope to and to propagate the one and true and living God. But then why is it such a drudgery every morning to get in my car and drive to my job? Why do I hate my job? Why do I wish that my job would die? Or why do I wish that I would die so that I don't have to go to my job? Well, there's a little problem. So flip over just a few pages to Genesis chapter 3. And let's consider, we should consider work's original intention. Now let's talk about work and the fall and work after the fall. So we know that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve don't listen to God, right? This is fundamentally what causes this to happen. They don't listen to God. They don't remember his word. They don't remember his commands. And they want to be equal with God and question what he says. And sin enters into the world. And there are consequences. Because every time you sin, whether you like it or not, there are consequences to it. So let's look at verses 16 through 19 here in Genesis chapter 3. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Every bit, every iota of work has been affected by the fall. And in order to better understand why work is difficult, we need to see what effects the fall has on on work and on the earth. We're helped again by a a pastor. Rather than working a blessed creation, which was God's original intention, the man will now toil on a cursed ground, and he will have pain in the production of food all of his life. And I would argue as well, in addition to the physical labor and work that the the woman will do outside of uh, being a a wife and, and a mother, the other work she will do as a mother in giving birth to children will be cursed as a result of that. Not just in the pain that will be experienced uh, during childbirth, but also in the pain of and the effects of infertility and a struggle to get pregnant. All of that is affected by the fall. I can't really speak much more to that. Here, because we're trying to focus in on our job. So I just would say tonight to to young people who want to get married uh, and and want to have families that God had an original intention for how families would take place in this world and sin just constantly is a barrage attack against us. If it's not in getting pregnant, it's about raising kids and trying to uh, point them in the direction of raising them in the nurture and admonition of their Lord. So, it's another subject for another time, but here we see the obstacles that really do come into 
the actual job. He said, God says to Adam in, in verse 17, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So if we want to know how work has been affected as a result of the, the fall, obstacles and impediments will frustrate man's efforts. We find that in verse 18. The rest of your life, there will always be obstacles and impediments to frustrate man's toil. Now, I'm speaking to a non-agrarian group of people, and if you are like, what's an agrarian group of people? Just further evidence that you're part of a non-agrarian group of people. Uh, they're, they're farmers. M the majority, if not everyone who is sitting here tonight, it, it is not going to be frustrated by the obstacles and impediments of, we need rain, there is no rain. We don't need that much rain. We need sun. There's too much rain. Your frustrations are different. The printer won't work because it is possessed by Satan. Pastor Eddie's just in there with oil, praying over the printer. Not exercise. Be healed. It's not happening. This is an obstacle and an impediment. You have to deal with people. Some of you are in the customer service industry. You have to deal with people. They don't like the, the, the food's too hot, the food's too cold. It takes too long, it's too short. I've never been around people who are like, we got that food too fast, so just scratch that. <laughs> I wanted to wait in line just a little bit longer. Do you ever with that person punch them in the mouth for the glory of God? The client is demanding. The client is over the top. The client doesn't understand what they're dealing with. They're not an expert, but they think they are. You got people, some of you will be in uh, financial careers where people will be on the phone yelling at you to sell while they're losing their shirt, and you are trying to tell them, you are an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. That's an obstacle and an impediment. He says in verse 19, their sweaty struggle will mark his labor until he dies. You're all young now, but one day you will go to the gym. You will do much labor for little reward. That's why the Apostle Paul says bodily exercise profiteth little. doesn't say that there's no profit to it. Just there's going to be little profit to it. You're going to struggle. You're going to... Sweaty struggle is marked in the beginning of your career. When you get married and you find out that you thought you were poor in college and once again you were shocked to find out that you are able to be even poorer and not be able, and, and you will eat the same meal to the glory of God multiple times a week because that's what you have to do to get by. Struggle will mark your life. Because of sin, work will be futile, frustrating, and fatal. Everyone dies. It's a real, oh man, it's a real pick-me-up tonight, talking about work. Everyone dies. That's the effect of the, the, the fall on work, though. 
I think a lot of times we're not walking into our jobs thinking, you know, uh, today is going to be difficult because of the fall, not because of Susan and human resources. That That's not the reason why work is... A lot of times we want to project our frustration on a particular co-worker, uh, and I'm sure that there are plenty of co-workers who are projecting their frustration on you, just not to your face. And I, I, I can't seem to get ahead and get in front of these things, and it's struggle and it's difficult. And I think a lot of the time the reason why Christians have such poor, bitter, angry spirits at work is because they don't go in to work filled with the Spirit, and they're not aware of the fact that the fall has uh, affected this. You're like, yeah, right. Look, I supposedly work at heaven on earth. Everybody is on the same team trying to get people to follow Christ. And they frustrate me, and I frustrate them all the time. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you can take your frustration out on people at your work when deadlines aren't made, things fall between the cracks, uh, someone says the wrong thing to you at the wrong time on the wrong day, and you're just like, I'm going to... uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not godly. That's what I'm thinking. It's because you're not thinking about this fact. You're a sinner, and they're a sinner. And and, and then you're at a bigger company, and it's like when I worked at Bass Pro. It's shocking that there's so much sin here. There's 400 people working under one roof, and we're, like, shocked that people have bad attitudes or gossips and slanderers and, and, and cheats and, and bad employees. If you don't walk into the place aware of the fact that the place is filled with sinners, then you're going to be frustrated every day when you go to work going, why can't we seem to get along and why can't we seem to row the boat in the same direction? Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and left to its own devices will constantly go in the opposite direction of following God. That's why you've got to get yourself under the control of the scriptures before you go to work which leads us naturally into our final observation tonight so okay david we get it work was originally created good work is marred by the fall so how do we experience this so-called good life when it comes to work flip over to ephesians chapter four we're going to look at we're going this is such a a, a broad topic to try and narrow into one sermon. But I'm going to point you into two case studies from the New Testament, reference the names of some people that I think you should study for homework, and give you a couple takeaways, and, 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 and we'll call it a night. So I get you this idea about work and the good life, but I want to stop here as you're flipping to Ephesians chapter 4. If we're honest tonight... We all want to experience the good life, and work is required in order for that to happen. You, if you, some of you are like, well, you know, I could have a rich uncle who dies and leaves me everything. You're still going to have to manage the money, Carl. That's work. 
we're going to continue to be honest. We must state up front that what we talk about from the New Testament is impossible if you don't know Christ. We're going to look at two uh, Pauline passages tonight that are specific instructions for Christians. Therefore, for this to even work in your life, you have to first and foremost be a Christ follower. Because here's what's going to end up happening. If you don't know Christ, or you believe yourself to be genuinely converted but don't know Christ, you're going to go out of here and try and do these things, and it's not going to work, and you're going to be even more frustrated. Because if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to work to the glory of God. That's just the bottom line. That's just the bottom line. So, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 28. Two uh, instruction verses that we're going to look at tonight are two passages. Ephesians 4.28, Paul says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's what Paul does. In, in typical Pauline fashion here in the book of Ephesians, he goes to put off, put on metaphors by saying, let the thief no longer steal. So uh, thievery is condemned here. Christ, the Christian will put off the principles of theft and covetousness in how they work. Which means some of you will actually have to put in eight hours of work at your job instead of six, a lunch break, and whatever else you're doing meandering around the place. We don't like, we think of theft as, well, I, you know, I'm not sneaking a pack of sticky notes out from the supply closet uh, that I'm taking home to use on a project, so I'm not stealing. Thievery in the workplace manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And I think if you're honest and evaluate what you do at your job, how you work, how you conduct yourself, there may be a little bit of thievery happening uh, widely through our doors. Even me. I'm not exempt. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So the Christian worker, in addition to not being given to theft and covetousness, will also be honest, honest in working hard, honest in all their dealings. They will avoid defrauding people. What would it look like for you to put in an honest day's work? I think a lot of times we think of an honest day's work as being, uh, I worked real hard for eight hours. That is very true. But there are a lot of people who put in an honest day's work while being completely dishonest. How you speak about people, how you speak about deals, how you speak about hidden things that the customer must ask for in order to get, even though it is their right to have it. It may put you in an awkward position sometimes with your employer. And we'll talk about that in just a second. He says further, in addition to not being given to theft, being an honest worker, the last clause, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. They will also avoid greed and selfishness. Now, now they will avoid greed and selfishness. Now, you're going to hear this, you're going to be tempted to think, is David, like, drifting, you know, 
and we love the free market capitalist system here in the West, is David suggesting that we need to go to wealth redistribution? No. What God is saying is that it's not a sin for you to make money, but rather what goes on in your heart as you make it. Make money to the glory of God and the joy of all people. But if you have a greedy, stingy, selfish, caring for yourself heart, the New Testament says you don't genuinely know Christ. Or at least you're not walking close with him. So, again, make money. Work hard. What you do with that speaks volumes about who you are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is our second case study. We're just meandering our way through a little bit of the New Testament and what it says about work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. When we think about work, a lot of the times what ends up happening is there's a real sense that we are not guarding what actually happens when we're at the job site. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. And we'll go 10b to, to get us started. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Four things that 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 tells us about what it looks like to be a Christian who is also working. The Christian worker is not looking to make a scene, but is respectful and under control while being ruled by the Spirit. They live quietly. Not trying to create problems and commotions and flying off the handle and just uh, wait till they hear about from me about this boss is thinking we haven't even begun to stop hearing about you on the previous matter and here you are yet again aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs the christian worker is not a busybody or the office gossip and i would just submit about other people not anyone in this room if you run your mouth at church, I don't know how you're not running your mouth at your job. And I don't know what your testimony is at your job if you run your mouth constantly here. Not supposed to be a gossip or busy about. This is, this is basic New Testament principles that should govern the way that we work. Then he says to... Uh, work with your hands as we instructed you. The Christian worker works hard to the glory of God. Because he understands. And Colossians will tell us this. That when he goes into work, that Christian worker is not working for himself, but is to work for the Lord. That's what motivates him and drives him. And then, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The Christian worker aspires to be a good testimony in their conduct and work. So they're looking for ways to uh, give a good testimony to the cause of Christ in the way that they work. So you, you get to the end of this and you're like, okay, you said this is an overview, right. 
consider Joseph's life. If you want one uh, example of a, a man who continually works through the New Testament uh, to the glory of God in spite of his circumstances, and the Lord re- rewards him and blesses him as he continues to follow after him. You want another guy uh, to, to look at? Be Nehemiah. Read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah works hard to the glory of God. Okay, so those are two guys. What about women? Because, you know, like, the Bible doesn't care about women. Actually, it does. The book of Ruth is a perfect example of how a woman works to the glory of God in spite of the cultural circumstances. And then Proverbs 31, uh, in spi- despite the fact that it has become such a cliche thing, actually is a wonderful exposition about how a wife works in the home and out of the home while delighting in working as a homemaker and delighting as someone who has a career calling. It's actually quite countercultural, and Western Christians have done a disservice to that text, especially to women. They're like, Proverbs 31 is like all about character and about cute handbags. I don't even know if they still sell those things. Uh, multi-level marketing, pyramid schemes are just not my thing. So, Proverbs 31 should, if you read it closely, ladies and and men should read it too, it reorients the way that we think about the career-minded mom. It is possible to do both things to the glory of God. Okay, so those are some external homework that you can do. What about some takeaways? Let's Three things. If you're walking out of this sermon tonight and you said, David, what do you want us to take away from this? What are you hoping that you'll take away from it? Three things. Number one, be spirit-filled. Without a true knowledge and relationship with Christ, you can't do anything we talked about tonight. It's just not impossible. If you're not spirit-filled, if you don't get yourself up and get yourself ready to to go into work, and I know there are people who are like, I just can't read my Bible in the morning because I, I just, I just, I can't. You need to read it at least by the time you've gone into work and for students before you've gone into class. You've got to get yourself under the word so that God is in you and filling you and navigating you and driving you as you go. Many a day I've gotten home having rushed myself out of the door and not done my Bible reading to read the passage and go, oh, that would have been real helpful for today if I had read that in the morning because Everything that I dealt with all during my day was covered in the scripture reading that was assigned for this morning. I don't know about you. I need all the help I can get. Okay, number one, be spirit-filled. Number two, be, con- be more concerned with Christ than you are with yourself. If even my work is an opportunity to glorify God, then I must work differently. This has been a real change in my thinking recently. I like to think that my theology was here already, but it really has practically changed. And and I think it's as a result of um, COVID and having to make difficult decisions and trying to do things that please the Lord are submissive to the government and, and help people grow in the Lord. I don't give a rip at some level what people think of me as much as I used to, because one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for my life. Every page of the scripture, I just my Bible reading for the last two months has just been a constant reminder that this life is not mine. God is 
ultimately who I am responsible to. Yes, I report to Russ Davidson. Yes, ultimately my ultimate boss at CrossFit is Eddie Bumpers. But even those two men pale in comparison to the one who I will have to give an account to. So be more concerned with pleasing and honoring Christ than yourself. Last thing, be a witness by your work. Be a witness by your work. Too much time. I'm going to argue tonight, and you can meet me afterwards, and we can duke it out over this, because this would probably be the most controversial thing that I say, and of course I saved it to the end. Too much time is spent trying to strategize about how to witness at work. I've sat through Bible study after Bible study. I've been asked on Q&A panels. I've had conversations with people. Help me to evangelize at work. And I think there's an important, uh, it's important to think about that, but it's more important. Listen to this. While it's important to think through how to witness at work, it's even more important that the work match the witness. That's the disconnect tonight. We have a lot of people who are trying to win their coworkers to the Lord, and their coworkers going, I don't want anything to do with that. Because that guy is the laziest, sloppiest, behind worker we've got. I don't want anything to do with Christ. I don't want anything to do with Christ. She can't keep her mouth shut. He can't keep his mouth shut. They're constantly putting people down. How can you claim to know Christ? I don't even know him, but I can tell you from what I have heard of the Bible that that's not appropriate. Our work must, must match our witness if we're going to have actual impact for the cause of Christ. It is challenging, I know. And I have to remind myself that constantly because I work in such a unique environment. But it has not always been this way. And I want to tell you that if you will work to God's glory, He will provide you with opportunities to speak for His glory. And we're all worried about answering all the objections people are going to have when if we would just go to work, work hard, work for the Lord, and pray that He would create divine appointments, we would be shocked at the amount of people who when we they want to have conversations with us because they can't figure out why we punch in and punch out the way that we do. Because there actually is a marked difference in who we are. And isn't that what the whole of the scriptures is about when it comes to being a Christian? Is living differently from the people around you? Real quickly, that's what the Israelites were supposed to do in the Old Testament, and they didn't do it. Jesus comes to redeem people, and all through the rest of the New Testament, the exhortation is live under the control and the compulsion of Christ for his glory, and that will gonna, is going to make you look like an exile and a pilgrim in this land, not as someone whose citizenship is ultimately rooted in this world. Live differently by working differently. Let's pray.